Welcome to Crosstown Cardboard, a sports card podcast with two collectors from opposite sides of New York City. Craig and Carmine share sports card stories from the perspective of a teacher and broadcaster. This is Crosstown Cardboard. Welcome to Crosstown Cardboard, episode 33, with my great friends who will introduce our guest in just a second. But first, I mean, we have to introduce Craig at New York City Sports Cards, the math teacher, the soccer coach from on Long Island, but in New York City, repping the Knicks, as always, and myself, Carmine, at Carmine's Cards in the virtual world, the uh, sports and news broadcaster, originally from Westchester County, New York, but now in Southern Oregon. And we have a big guest. Actually, Big is in his full name now. Craig, would you like to introduce the guest we have on today? A long time coming that we have Big Ken, a.k.a. Papa Ken, a.k.a. Sports Cards Lessons on Instagram. So excited to have you on, Ken, and just talk cards. We talk behind the scenes all the time, so great to have you. So good to have you. Uh, How are you feeling? You've been a busy guy in the hobby. I've been busy. I'm excited to be here. It's my first time on Crosstown. You know, I, I, I was hoping I'd show up and say, hey, I'm your third or fourth time guest. You know, I'm beating everybody, but, you know, you got to start somewhere. So this is, this, this is my first stop here in Crosstown. I'm excited to be here, excited to see my guys. You know, I was thinking that we did, I've done a bunch of Wolfpack stuff with you guys, but this is really the first time that, you know, we've done this. Yeah, yeah, we got the uh, pleasure of being on the Sports Card Lessons podcast, uh, I think a couple months ago, and that helped us, you know, get off the ground because you're more experienced, seasoned podcaster, (laughs) and uh, so now we're up to our Larry Bird, Patrick Ewing, Kareem, Alonzo Mourning, Honorable Mention, episode 33, so, uh, and you've been going to so many shows, Ken, that's one of the big reasons we wanted to have you on, in addition to us being Wolfpack co-members. So what are the recent sports card shows that you've been to? And then we'll get into the different feelings and what you're seeing selling and buying at those shows. But give us like a rundown of the recent shows you've been to. Well, I could list the last three shows. They were all first-time shows for me. Uh, so I did the Shriners show in Massachusetts. I did the Best Flipping show in Massachusetts. And I did the Fenway Park show in Massachusetts. See, there's there's a theme here, all the Massachusetts, right? Um, And and it's interesting that I do all these shows and no two shows are ever the same. You know, they they could be right down the road from each other, one week apart, and and I'll go and it'll be just it'll be just completely different. The shows are different. What's what's selling, how it's selling, things like that. The you know, no show is ever the same. Yeah, who knew, who knew uh, card shows and snowflakes had so much in common? <laughs> right. So what, what were some of the differences you noticed, Ken, from the Fenway to the best flipping show to the Shriners? Uh, so Shriners, it was interesting. When I went to Shriners, now Shriners is, you know, usually a huge show, right? I just heard great things about the Shriners show. Uh, from, from the moment I stepped back in the hobby, people really talked about this show. And I was so excited to make plans to to go to the show, and and I I went to the Toronto. I didn't mention the Toronto show here, but oh, yeah. I I went to the Toronto Expo, 
and uh, I, I picked up, uh, you know, the Mike Tyson PMG, the uh, mm-hmm. upper deck employees PMG card. And when I got home and I started looking on the computer and people were talking about going to Shriners, I saw that Mike Tyson was going to be there. So it was a no brainer. I mean, I know he doesn't sign cards, nor would I break this out of a case to have him sign it. But instantly in my mind, I thought if I can go there and have him hold this card and take a picture, just, just to say he's held this card, right. That, that to me would be really cool. Uh, so I made a rain. I came back. It was, I was a week, a week back from Toronto. I made, I made, uh, you know, plans to go to this show. And the day before I went, I was messaging with all these people and they said, ah, it's been really slow. It's been a tough, it's been tough. We went on a Sunday. So Friday and Saturday had been slow. Uh, and we had, we'd gone on a Sunday. And, uh, so I really didn't know what to expect here. I am thinking this is supposed to be a banging show and people are talking about it being really slow. Uh, and when I got there, I started talking to people. They said, there's two different promoters, right? There's a promoter for the Shriners in November, and there's a promoter for this show in the spring. So there are two different promoters. Oh, okay. Um, but that show to me was an amazing show. So this is what worked out for me. I went to a show that had been slow for two days. So I showed up on Sunday and it was a buying day for me. I mean, I was just table to table, you know, buying, you know, the, all these great cards to pack away to bring to the national, you know, in July. So I was excited to go in the day I did. Mike Tyson was late. He was supposed to be there at one he doesn't come till four o'clock and, <laughs> and I kind of carpooled with people. So I drove up to, you know, I drove an hour and 20 minutes from here and met up with some other people and they drove the rest of the way. So here I was feeling bad that I was the only one that was waiting to see Mike Tyson that day, but they, they were really good sports about it. They didn't mind. And uh, yeah, I mean, not only did I get to see Mike Tyson, I got a picture of him holding, you know, with him holding my, the PMG. And I came home with, you know, a, a, a satchel full of cards. So it was uh, that, you know, that show was a great show. You know, Ben, Ben, we got a, we got a rewind for a second because here you are picking up these grail Mike Tyson cards, <laughs> taking pictures with Mike Tyson, with the card, going city to city, setting up at shows, but there are probably many listeners who may not know you. And it didn't just happen this way. You know, to add a little context, you and I connected, what, two, three years ago? Mm-hmm. You knew Rob because uh, through prison, right? You, Rob's a... I love to say that. Yeah, we met in prison. <laughs> uh, you kind of met in prison. You guys kind of met in prison. <laughs> you, you being a, an educator, Rob working in mental health through the prison system, I, however you want to word it, uh, about two, three years ago. And I knew Rob, and then we kind of connected. And you were pretty new to this two, three years ago. And look how far you've progressed. In just yeah. a few years. So you're, you're doing amazing work. Um, but as far as you're collecting, I've seen you evolve and I love the way you document that on your podcast. So plug, plug for your podcast, Sports Card Lessons. The fact that you went from two, three years ago, you didn't know anything. You were just, you know, you were teaching in the prison and here you are now. So good for you for a, a two, three year growth. What's your secret? Uh, it's just being part of the hobby, you know, uh, uh, it was a perfect storm for me, right? Cause I retired. Uh, and when I retired from the prison, this, this was, 
it, it was it was a great way for me to it was it was something for me to do that really took my mind off of all the other things I was doing in my life. And I run a business, too. And uh, once I jumped in, I thought to myself, I, you know, I, I wish I jumped into this 20 years ago. I wish I'd been doing this for 20 years or, you know, or or 10 years or 15 years. But I'm glad at the time that I did jump in and and I love it. I love going to shows. I love you know, dealing with people, talking to people and the people in the hobby, too, were so welcoming. Um, I've talked many times, you know, the, the older you get in life, the harder it is to make friends. And the older you get in life, it's harder it is to retain friends because people, their lives change and their kids grow up and this and that and they move away. So a lot of these people you're friends with for a lot of your life, they seem to to go off and do their own thing. And it's not that you lose touch with them, but you know, you're not that active with them, you know, on a, on a, you know, daily or weekly basis. And, you know, going through that transition and retiring and having friends from work and leaving those kind of friends and my kids, you know, we're all grown up and losing all those friends. You know, they, a lot of the, those people moved on. Now all of a sudden I have hobby friends, right. And, and it, it's just been, it, it's been great for me. Uh, I love doing it. I look forward like all week long when I know there's a show, I'm I'm excited to go. That's great. So when you lost one thing with your career, you filled that void with the yeah. hobby, it seems yeah. like also. So you you mentioned uh, the Shriner show with your Mike Tyson awesome moment. What was Mike Tyson's reaction? And I and I know you mentioned it on your show, but just for our <laughs> listeners who might not be yeah. crossing over uh, the same, you know, exact listeners, but can you tell a little bit more in depth what the, oh, yeah, it was, was interesting. Like? You know, Mike didn't say much. I was probably 70th in line, right. To get in to see him. And, and I'm sure it was a late day. It's a long day for him, you know? So he's standing there. He's just waiting for you to come in and he wants to throw his arm around you or you throw your arm around him and take a picture. And, you know, I kind of walked in and I said, I, you know, I kind of faced him. I said, Hey man, I go, Hey champ. I go, you know what this is? And I held it up and he shook his head. No. And he looked at it and he said, man, but that purple is fly as F. <laughs> it made my whole day. Made nice. my whole day. I said, would you hold it for the picture? He said, sure. You know? And, uh, yeah, it was, it was great. It was, it was a great, great interaction. Yeah. That's awesome. So breaking news here, Mike Tyson is a big fan of the color purple. So we got we got a, an exclusive and also well, it's shout probably out the to first that. time. It's probably the first time he saw himself in purple. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, could be. It's cool. and, I mean, uh, closest thing you can get to like a, an on card auto, I guess him holding it. Yeah. 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 Well, at least so I, know, I, I could say he held it and I have the proof. There you go. So, and shout out to uh, cousin Tony, also another Wolfpack member who also got his employee exclusive Upper Deck PMG Mike Tyson right around the same time. Yeah. So, Ken, he doesn't sign. Why doesn't Mike Tyson sign? Do you know? No. So, since he's he, you know, he got signed by Leaf. Um, he 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 can't sign any cards. He can oh, sign other wow. things, just about anything. You know, gloves, trunks you know, yes. pictures, anything. He can sign anything, but he can't sign trading cards. Mm, okay. Huh. Yeah. And okay. I learned that last year because I was going to meet him for the first time uh, down at the um, Probstein's Autograph Fest. He was there, and I, I knew I was going to that show. I knew I was setting up, and I spent a long time picking out 
the perfect card for him to sign, right? I researched it and researched it and I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm as best you can, you know, you guys do the same thing. It's a raw card. So you're looking at the corners and the edges and the surface and trying to, you know, ask for a few more pictures, that type of thing. And I find, I found the perfect card, right? And I got it and I was all excited. And I, that day I went, when we got to the show and, uh, my friend, Nick, who was there, who was part of, you know, bringing the people and celebrities in and out. And I said, Oh, I'm excited for Mike. I got this card checking out. And he goes, that's great, but he can't sign it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> he says, no, he can't sign it. He says he's, he can only sign these things right here. You know, if you buy, or if you bring something on your own. So yeah, it was, I, it was a big disappointment that day, but lesson learned and it helped me for when it was really important. Right. Lesson, right. lesson learned. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. That's kind of, that's your mantra right there, right? Every experience yeah. in the hobby is a learning lesson. But speaking of trading cards, Ken, I want to talk about because, you know, I haven't been to a show in a few months. This is busy season for me. Carmine, you're in the same boat. So we've been watching from the sidelines, right? We know what's going on. We understand there's a Fenway show last weekend. We understand. I think there was a Dallas show last weekend. Yeah, We're doing our buying and selling and trading online, but you're in the action. So when you see transactions happening, just people buying, selling. What's what? What are you seeing a lot of? What is moving? Is it still all this ultra modern fluff that we're used to seeing get pumped? You know, in in the lane that I'm in, yes, and and a lot of the people that I know are in that lane too. Uh, it's a lot of you know, with football, it's a lot of modern quarterbacks. You know, from from 2017 up to you know the current players. And um, I'll tell you one thing that I've noticed, and it was such a change from last year, because last year, the big cards were moving, you know, all the way up through the spring, right up to the national, uh, you would see these big, you know, optic contender autograph and these RPAs that were three, four, five, eight, ten thousand $10,000. These big cards were moving and, and I used to say, you know, I used to see, and I talked, I would talk about this on the podcast. I would see these people I'm setting up with selling these big cards and say, ah, that's where I need to be. Right. So I kind of got into that in the summertime, you know, close to the fall, I moved into a couple big cards. And what I realized I was too late, you know, I guess, I guess, you know, when they say when, when, you know, you see the trend happening, you're probably too late. And I was, I was too late. So I moved into these big cards and what I watched happen through the fall and in through this winter, I watched that these big cards really weren't selling anymore. People were trying to trade down out of these big cards. And the more I, you know, I go to all, we talked about, I go to all these shows and what I'm noticing now is people are saying, you know, I would rather have, you know, 10, $500 cards in my case, then, you know, one $5,000 card, like that type of thing, because this is, this is kind of, you know, where it's moving a lot of raw cards, a lot of raw cards. I mean, PSA, the grading, the, 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 the prices on the grading are so low right now with these bulk options and everything else. I mean, there's just a ton of cards being graded now. So at these shows, people are really digging through these singles boxes, you know, trying to find cards and i know i'm friends with a lot of people that we're carpooling to these shows and they're coming back and they're showing me stacks of 30 40 single cards that they've they've picked up at a show 
and they're going to go through them, you know, a second time at home and they may lose 20 or 25% may not be gradable after they really review the card, but they're still sending a ton of cards in for grading. Huh? Interesting. Okay. So you're seeing what's the main price range now, Ken, that you're seeing selling at the shows you're going to. Oh, I would say from, you know, probably $50 to $500 is probably the kind of the sweet spot where a lot of people are buying, whether it's raw, you know, in the, in the, the, the five to 50 to maybe even a 75 or 80 on the raw, but then with the slab stuff, you know, I, I think that three to three, 400, $500 range has been kind of a sweet spot. I, I just see it. And I've been doing the same thing myself. Like I, I changed up my, I talked about having this big plan to go to the national, to have all these RPAs You can go back and listen to my, you know, back in January and the beginning of season two, I'm talking about having all these RPAs at two, three, $4,000. And I completely switched up. You know, I think, you know, most of my cards are under a thousand dollars, you know, what, what I ended up switching into and what I plan on bringing because I think they're those are the cards that are going to sell. Those are the cards that are becoming more liquid than the higher end cards. Even when I went to Toronto, like I brought high end hockey cards to Toronto. I brought cards to Toronto to sell. And when I brought them around, people were just I, I sold all my lower end hockey, but my high end hockey just couldn't sell it. I mean, people would say, look, if you really want to sell it, I'll give you this, but it's because I know I can't sell it. And it's just going to become part of my inventory until these high-end cards start selling again. So, you know, I was obviously, no, I'll just take those cards back with me, but yeah, the, the high-end, you know, from what I see and, you know, people will, will certainly argue with me that, but I'm, the shows I'm going to, not many high-end cards are selling. Just to your example, you could pick one $5,000 card. I feel like you could build a really sweet, unique, cool collection of 10 $500 cards. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, let, let's get into it, for example. So kind of what you're saying, I, uh, last year at national, a big lesson for me was I was able to consolidate into, into a couple of soccer cards. I really like, so I did like uh, eight cards and cash for two type deal. It was a mega deal. Ken, you would have loved it. Ken, this card uh, is right in your sweet spot of like that two to $500 range. This is a Brendan Aronson Gold Prism from 2022 Prism World Cup out of 10. Uh, people seem to love, tell me if you see this as well, love Prism Golds. Uh, our, our last guest said the Panini era is going to be known as the Prism Gold era. Yeah, so, you know, I, I think one of the problems is if people just are trying to identify like a set that's a little bit more rare than the other million sets that are out there, right? I mean, and 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 that's why people are enjoying those cards there because they're, they're limited. It's a limited set. Yeah. Pretty easy to identify. It looks good too. Right. That's a, yeah. but I think that's why people like gold prisms. I love soccer Ken, because it, my favorite products are tops chrome and they're out of 50. So they still look great, but they're a little more attainable, five times more attainable to be exact. Hmm. Five times more. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> They're numbered out of 50, prisms out of 10. There you go. Right. Oh, this is a math teacher, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a less it's another lesson learned. Right. <laughs> exactly. So Ken, I'm curious when you talk about the range, you know, you were mentioning the uh $50 to like $500 range is now the sweet spot where a lot of transactions are happening. You're seeing it shows. And previously you were seeing 
like around this time last year, the higher end stuff, some of the four figure stuff was changing hands more. Do you think that's changed mainly because of the economy and inflation and things slowing down in the financial world? Or do you think there are other uh, factors at play that are changing the sports card market a little bit? Well, I think it's easier to move cards that are less expensive. Number one, uh, number two, if if the market dips right on one card, you're going to lose the, the higher dollar of the card, the more you're going to lose on one card versus if you're spreading it out. Um, and one thing that I talk about um, is I find the higher dollar cards I have. So the three, four or $5,000 card, when it comes time to even try to sell it, people are already discounting like their offers are coming in, you know, five, six, seven, $800 below a comp where on a $200 card or a $300 card, if people are going to make an offer or try to get something, say if the comp is at $200, I mean, I think they kind of know in their mind if they can get it at 180 or 190, it's, it's going to be a good deal for them versus if a car card is priced at, $3,000, they may think to themselves, well, I'm going to try to get this card for $2,200 or $2,400. So I think there's people are expecting a bigger discount or trying to get a bigger discount on higher dollar cards versus lower dollar cards. And I think it's easier to, you know, the math is easier, right? We can ask the math teacher, right? The math is just the easier. Only, I know I really want to get into this point for a second because the only way this works and is a successful hobby is if that card ends up in a collector's hands because if the card is worth if i'm selling a card for three thousand and you buy it for twenty two hundred okay maybe i made a little money you want to go sell for twenty four hundred you made a little bit of money that person wants to sell for twenty six hundred they made a little money someone's going to be holding that um and you hope that that person who's holding that is a collector of the card otherwise that's where we run into issues i guess that's yeah. where that game of hot potato comes in yeah so that's Somebody's why get personally I try to acquire these fifty to five hundred dollar cards and work my way up to a more expensive card that I want to hold long term. Mm -hmm. So that to me is my end goal. Um, but it's nice to like talk it out like this. Mm -hmm. Very therapeutic. I, I went to the Mount Kisco show uh, in Mount Kisco, New York. Um, I don't know three weeks ago, maybe it was. I went down there on a Sunday. It was the week after Shriners. And I had a pretty big Mahomes card that I had recently acquired to bring to the national. And then I felt mm, maybe, I, maybe this isn't the card that I really want to bring out there. Like maybe I can turn this card into, and, um, a dealer offered me the, the, the last, you know, met the last comp on that card, which I was excited about. And I traded down, I traded down to, you know, there were a couple of Mahomes cards, a couple of Joe Burrow cards, right? So it was, uh, and I felt it was a great move for me because even those cards that I traded, you know, I took that card and, uh, you know, I gave the big card, I took, you know, five smaller cards. Those five smaller cards now have increased in value. They've gone up a little bit in value where I go back and look at that Mahomes card. It's gone nowhere. It's stayed right where it is because it's kind of a rare, it's, a, it's more of a, a rare card. You know, it's a very low pop card. It was a rookie. It was a numbered card, things like that. So there's not a lot of them selling versus some of these other cards that I picked up, 
you know, that there's more of and there's more selling. It gives I, you can see the comps are going up and I'm just finding it easier to to comp these cards. And I think I'm going to find it easier to move these cards, too, than something a little bit more unique. That's an interesting argument, Craig, because uh, a lot of our conversations on Crosstown Cardboard here revolve around getting the more rare cards, the more unique cards that don't have as many comps. But Ken is mentioning that the comps can sometimes work in your favor. Like I'm, you know, it, to your example, talking about football being in more of a down period, but probably on the upswing now that it's getting closer to the season. So if you get less rare cards that are transacted more that can work in your favor in this case uh, yeah I, I i have a recent example ken what were you gonna say you you are the guest i want you to get no no i was i was gonna i was gonna agree with you i talked a lot and and these are the kind of lessons that i go back and forth on on my own podcast right so i go out and i and i say you know i'm picking up these Ovechkin cards that are very low pop and you know I, I can almost make up the price because one hasn't sold in three years or four years and these transactions I'm getting but I what I realized I got these great deals I'm like saying wow I got these look at this guy helped me out I got this great deal on this card but then I realized after the fact that he was happy to get out of it because here is a card that's in his case that he just can't move because you know, he, we're saying the value, we think the value is $3,000, but he couldn't even get anybody to offer him $2,000 on it, right? And then I show up and say, well, I'll give you, you know, these cards and some cash and I'll trade up to that big card. Well, now I have that big card, but I can't move that big card, right? Because I'm in the same position he was in. So go, go ahead, Craig. No, um, what you were saying about trading down, because I have a, I have that Allen Iverson sneaker spotlight card that I posted. I don't have it in front of me, but every card for me is, is a card I want to keep. I'll keep in my collection or move. And similarly, that's a kind of a low pop card. There, there's been some comps on it, but it's a, it's a card I plan on moving. And I was really contemplating. It's funny you say that because we always talk about trading it for the big card. The very last two days, I was shopping it around actually trying to trade down. So my thought process as well was I'm going to go to national and, one lesson I learned from last year is, yeah, you want to come with cash, but you got to come ready to have some cards, right? Nationals where everything goes down and Any, anything goes down. So my favorite way to operate are partial trades. If I want this thousand dollar card, it could be $500 cash, $500 in cards. For me, that's, that's perfect. So you got to have some inventory. So I could have this one Iverson card that I could try to move into something or two or three cards to play around with and try to get a little flexibility with my thought process. But it's got to be the right cards if you're going to trade down, right? You don't want to really trade for too much junk, but, you know, I guess in your case, you just got to make sure you get the right value out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think I did, you know, I ended up with cards with, uh, you know, rookie quarterback cards that were graded nines and tens, mostly tens, you know, like, uh, you know, Mahomes optic pink, uh, a Mahomes optic, you know, both PSA 10 like those type of cards that are, are pretty liquid right now. I mean, they're just mm -hmm. kind of flying off the shelves right now. So these are the cards that I want to be holding on to. Uh, and, and again, like I just mentioned, I'm watching there's comps every day, every day, every day on the, on these cards. And some of the same cards are being resold too, but the comps keep creeping up and creeping up and creeping up. And that's good news for me. Yeah. And I feel like at, at those shows, like you said, Ken, those lower value cards or, you know, wh whatever you want to 
put a label on them, but between fifty five hundred dollars are going to move a lot quicker, especially if you're not at a big show like Dallas, Burbank, you know, some of those. Because, like, for example, I sold my one of my Tiger Woods autographs for three thousand dollars at the Burbank show back. It in, was February. Yeah. And I almost I was thinking of meeting you out there. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We were almost met up. And so I remember, you know, at that show when there's hundreds and hundreds, I think there was like 500, 700 tables, something like that. You know, then you'll get buyers for the four figure cards. I, at least in my experience, because I've been to smaller shows like, you know, a Portland show and there's, you know, 80 tables, 50 tables around there. And, you know, most of the stuff, like the most expensive thing you'll find selling is like three, 400 bucks. So, do you think it's more of a function of some of the like the the shows that aren't the major blockbusting nationwide shows and that that's where you're seeing that trend happening? Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of bigger deals go down at the bigger shows, you know, like Dallas and in Chicago, not talking about the national, but the Chicago show uh, and Burbank. I mean, I, I know a lot of big deals go down, but I think. For the most part, um, the bigger sales, the big sales that I see at these shows are really for vintage cards. I know oh. like the vintage Mickey Mantles and vintage basketball. Like these are the, you know, I, I, I just see so much, so much more money at these bigger shows being spent on the vintage cards than, I mean, I'm not saying that's all there, you know, people are buying, obviously buying you know, modern cards too, spending good money on, on modern cards too. But um, I, I almost think that, you know, people do shop a lot of these bigger cards around at some of these shows. And I, I think when they don't sell, they end up on like, you know, some of these like PWCC or Heritage or Golden, things like that. I think that's where they end up. You know, they, they try to shop them around. And if they don't make, if they, they don't get anybody to buy, then they end up in the auction houses. And I think they go from the auction houses back to these shows again. Somebody buys them and now it's right back at the show again, you know, trying to move the cards. This is kind of back to what we said earlier. It's sometimes it's a never ending cycle. Yeah. I mean that yeah. there I guess there is no end game in the hobby, right? What is what what is the end game? I'm I'm trying to build out a collection out here. You're you're just trying to be the best dealer you can, have yeah. fun. And you've also yourself, I've seen you turn into a collector over the years. Yeah. yeah. What's the, I, what, I, are, what are the types of the types of cards you now really like to collect? The stuff you're not gonna bring out and sell, but has meaning to you. Okay. Let, so let, the stuff I don't yeah, the stuff that doesn't make it to a show anymore, any of the upper deck Mike Tyson cards that I have, um, they won't make it to the show. Um, my women's soccer, uh, Trinity Rodman, you'll never see her in my case. I'm hoarding all her cards. <laughs> I sure hope you don't have Trinity Rodman in your case. <laughs> uh, the uh, You know, another thing I started uh, collecting, PCing, was WNBA Hall of Famers. Right. So huh, interesting here. Here's here's, you know, I think I, I think all of women's sports are, you know, very, very undergraded right now. Uh, and and I do a lot with the a lot with the soccer and I'm building not only my own PC for soccer, but I'm building up, you know, a whole showcase for this summer for the for the World Cup. So uh, looking forward to that and any of those cards that will go in there, if they don't sell, I'll be happy to keep them. Um, and the new the new Donner soccer product 
looks really nice. I love those and the optics too. So I see yep. you picking up some of those. That's good stuff. WNBA cards. Are you picking up any Rittenhouse cards? I remember ripping packs of WNBA Rittenhouse, pulling a couple of Jersey cards back in the day. Oh, uh, what do you got here? Oh, oh, you can't see. I'm pointing to cards that you can't see. I'm describe right. it. The, describe it using the best imagery possible. Wow. Okay. Because these are meanwhile. Really- meanwhile, I picked up this uh, this Tim Howard. You know Tim Howard, U.S. national team goalie. Yep. Yep. Match worn patch card. Look at that. That is wow, very that's nice. nice. The match worn like patches are nice. Match worn, really nice logo. And here's a fun one you guys might like. You know, uh, you remember Freddie Adu? Oh yeah, he was this. What was he? Fifteen when he went when 14, he went pro. Fourteen. He was fourteen. Wow. Ken, do you remember Freddie Adu? You know, you know, I worked with a guy who is a huge soccer guy, and when this kid was fourteen, every day he used to tell me this story about anything that was going on with this kid, and it was funny. I forgot about that, so you just mentioned his name. So here's a here's a so 2012. He, yeah, he's long retired now, right? Because uh, I'm retired. Uh, he might be playing somewhere, but here's a 2012 Freddie Adu, obviously game worn patch out of 35 jersey number out of 35. Nice. Freddie Adu, I feel like like you can't tell the story of American soccer without Freddie Adu. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. So that that was a fun fun couple soccer patch pickups for me. Yeah, he was a trailblazer. Here's just a couple of the Rittenhouse. uh, This is uh, Adela Dawn here. So these are the original. These are 2013s. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Um, So is that the first year they made WNBA cards? No, but for for uh, the, these particular set that they put out, and I don't have all the information on it, but like this one here is Brittany Griner, right? I have okay. a number. I have a number of her cards, but I think she will be a Hall of Famer. Um, Diana, sure. Diana Taurasi, Sue Bird. Nice. I, I had these are the only two I could grab behind me, but you know, you know what's kind of cool about this too is living in Connecticut. A lot of these you know, goats from the WNBA went to UConn. Yeah. So just, just in the state, there was so many people who used to follow or still do just die hard, you know, win college women's college basketball. And now like in, in, in Facebook marketplace, things like that, these cool cards are just popping up and, you know, people are asking like 10 or $15 because they think there's no value to these cards. Right. And I'm, I'm excited every day. It's part of my routine every day as I just skim through marketplace for, for, you know, any, any of those cards. And a lot of them are, you know, either from Yukon or, you know, could be draft cards. Yeah. You might have to get some uh, Brianna Stewart, some Maya Moore, Ooh. Tina Charles, Nafisa Collier. And we got to get to it. All those people you just mentioned, I have here all autographs. Oh, nice. There all, you go. All autographs. Yep. These are all prism autographs. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. And Ken, Ken I think you have, yeah, uh, the, the upper deck Mike Tyson that I sold you like a month ago, a couple months ago. Yeah. That's, that's an unbelievable card. And there's a list uh, that somebody put out of all the cards. You know, if you're a Mike Tyson collector, these are the cards you should have. Um, and that was one of the cards that I thought to myself, I, there's no way I'll ever find one of these cards. You know, just just going through the list, 
because the upper deck autograph Mike Tyson cards from 2012, 2014, 2016, they just don't come up. People have them. They put them away in a case somewhere and they never come back up again. And when you ever posted that card, I almost fell off the chair. I'm like, I couldn't, I couldn't message you fast enough to say, I'm taking Me, the right? card. The, uh, <laughs> it sounds like I should have yeah. asked for more money. Yeah. I, di I didn't know it was such a premium. You did a great job. <laughs> love no, that. that was a good deal. That was a good deal. Love, love to see a, a card go from one friend to another that ends up in his collection. Like Ken, you sold me the Justin Bieber card that is happily in my PC. So thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. And I was happy to give it to you. My man. You know that's that's one thing. You know that we all the buzz now is the national, right? And you know, last weekend when I went to the uh, Fenway show. I sold a ton of music cards. I, I hadn't sold any music cards in, a, I can't even, all the shows that I've been at, maybe a handful, you know, maybe five total. And I think I sold like 12, 13 music cards at, at Fenway. And it was, I was just, I was blown away and the people were so excited. And I have so much information about the sets that these cards came from and people wanted the information and we were having these great conversations and, and it just got me thinking when I left, I said, I'd love to have, you know, continue to do that. And then I got excited thinking, you know, at the national, there is somebody in that room for every type of card in that room. So no matter what, what you collect, you will find your people at in that building, right? And be able to walk around and see other people that are selling similar cards as you. Because I'm sure when I go out there, I'm going to see some of the same cards that I'm selling where I don't see them at any of these shows. You know, I'm the only guy that has these shows. And it didn't hurt either to have Taylor Swift cards when <laughs> Taylor Swift was playing that right. weekend at Gillette Stadium, you know? So I almost, I sold out all my... Taylor Swift cards. Yeah. Wow. Who would have thought Swifties are uh, are in the sports card, or I just get guess the trading card hobby. But that's yeah. that's great. So can you go into a little more depth, Ken, about your experience at the Fenway Card Show? Because that's a pretty unique deal. Yeah. With uh, I, I hear think about that. Costa yeah. Cards is now uh, creating all these Boston centric shows at the different sporting venues. That's awesome. So what was that? What was that whole scene like there? It, you know what? I will tell you, it started off a little negative. You know, I showed up and I'm, I thought to myself, I was shaking my head. I thought to myself, you know, we got there on time and there was a big line waiting to get in. When was the, other, the only time ever you've gone to a card show where there was a line you're waiting to get in as a dealer, right? For setup. But they were going through your bags. They were checking your bags and your boxes and stuff like you were going to a concert. And I thought, oh. I go, this is going to be a long morning, right? And the parking, you know, was supposedly somebody was complaining it was really far away, which was getting me aggravated. But then I realized it was <laughs> it was like two blocks away. It wasn't that far. And then when we got in, I realized we were kind of outside. You know, we were underneath, underneath. Now, I want to say the bleachers, but there's it's cement above us. But if you look to the front and to the back, you're looking outside. And they were calling for heavy rains all day on Saturday, you know, so... I was like, oh, I think we're in for a long day. And I tell you, when that show started, the people kept coming and they never stopped coming. It was just an unbelievable experience. Um, you know, I card shows, I 
about 40%, 30 to 40% of the people that come through now, I've seen before, I know, I've talked to, you know, there was here, I I would say I only probably knew five or 8%. There was a whole other group of people that I'd never seen before and not very far away from other shows that I'm doing. But yeah, it was uh, it was just a phenomenal show. I mean, they really they they advertised it well. They really brought people in for that show. It was, you know, I I all my negativity went out the door when that show opened at nine o'clock. You know, so so when you talk about a good show versus a bad show, like what what makes it good aside from obviously when you do well in sales, I guess yeah, it's your know, number of number of transactions. Is that really what it comes down to? You know, there's a few ways I always say to look at a, look at a show. And it's interesting because the people that I set up with a lot, right? At the end of the day, they always say, how did you do? I did blah, blah. And they usually throw a dollar amount out, um, which is okay because you can measure that. You're setting up as a dealer and you're there to make money. It's okay to do that. Um, I kind of measure a show myself of, how many people that I have great interactions with. So if the, if it's crowded and people are just coming up, and, and I think it's the teacher part of me too, that I just enjoy the communication, the interaction with people. Um, I think if you do all that well, and you know what you're talking about, and you know your product that you're selling, and you're, you know how to communicate with people, I, the, the, everything else is easy. The sales are very easy. Uh, and, and I have a lot of people who reap, who come back, who come back to my table. What do you have? What's, what do you have new? The, like they'll say this type of thing, cause they're looking and I usually give people decent deals on stuff. I'm not there to make a killing, you know, the, the money. And I know people are going to say, Oh, everyone says that, but the money really to me is secondary. If you really know me, the money on, on that whole thing is secondary. I'm happy if I can trade into a card for my PC. I'm happy if I'm selling something over there and somebody shows up and says, oh, are you buying? And they pull out like a Brittany Griner card like this. I'm excited to say, all right, let's make a deal and, and I'll move it into that. So if I went, if I left the show at the end of the day with no money in my pocket, but some great cards to come put in this case behind me, it, it was a great day, right? So there some days on that particular show, Right. I didn't get out to walk around because it was so busy all day to, to go shopping. I also didn't where we were positioned. We were so far to the back that I don't think people had any good cards left. Like there were very few people came in and it was an odd show that people were selling with, you know, at, towards the end of the day, people are like, are you buying? Yeah. Yes, I am. But. You know, there, there are cases that obviously have been picked through. By the time they got to me, probably 30 other dealers or 40 other dealers had looked at these cards and said, no, I'm not interested. And they got to me and I probably wasn't interested either. The only card I went home with that day was this Lisa Leslie Prism Autograph. <laughs> nice. And a, and a friend of mine who used who was my neighbor before I moved came up to the table and it was, it was a gift. He came up and said, I saw this. I knew you'd love this card. I picked it up. It's for you. So this was the only card I went home with that day. Best card I've gotten a long time. Right? So it's just. Isn't that nice? Listen, Ken, the last 
the last three minutes of what you had to say, everyone should listen to that uh, when they said about a show. What, what, what a positive outlook on what it means to have a successful show. And I agree. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more, you know, and I think it, you do have a point about being an educator. You know, I realized as a teacher, what, what makes it fun are the interactions and the relationships you make with students that maybe they last temporarily, but for a lot of them, they last beyond graduation. Mm-hmm. This is the same exact way, right? You hope to have good, positive interactions during the show. And then the friendships that either begin and you know take on a life of its own after the show, even better. Yep. Absolutely. So, Ken, your uh, podcast, of course, is Sports Card Lessons. Your Instagram is Sports Card underscore Lessons. And so, as one of our final questions here, as we start to wrap up, Craig and I wanted to ask, what's the biggest or the best sports card lesson you've learned in the hobby and that you want to give out to the people we so thankfully have listening to us here oh the best lesson i've learned in the hobby uh, you, i wish you would have given me that just a little earlier let me uh, think <laughs> about it a little come back with you know something big but um i i think and i just kind of talked about this too i think just being a good person in the hobby um if you're going into this hobby that you either you need to make money or you need to get the best, you know, transaction, like you need to get the better end of a transaction, or mm-hmm. you're going to get mad at somebody if they don't want to negotiate. you know, there's a, all these like kind of, and I call them these kind of negative things like that people could bring. And if you're bringing any of those things, because I'm a positive person. Right. And I talk about, you know, I worked in a prison for maximum security prison for 30 years. Right. And I created a positive environment in my classroom and I was able to do that successfully. So coming into this hobby, it's very easy for me to say, you know, everything that's happening around me, it's going to be positive stuff. And um, I tell people all the time, you know, when when I'm starting to do a deal with somebody and they're, you know, they don't. I have a guy, right? And I'm friends with him. I We did one deal once, but he always has to get the best part of the deal. No matter what happens, he needs to, and he will stay there and go and go and go. And I told him, you can't always, it's it's give and take. Some, ta- some days you get a better deal, some days you don't, but it's, it's got to be about the love of the card and not the dollar amount on the transaction. Because if you get stuck on the dollar amount on the transaction, you're really not in the hobby, right? You're really just, you're here for the money. And I think if you come here to this hobby strictly for the money, you're going to, you're going to burn out and you'll be off doing something else. You won't last in the hobby. If it's strictly for money, you have to love these cards. When you look at these cards, they have to give you a feeling. They have to do something for you to say, wow, this card makes me feel good. Or it just does something, you know, to your psyche. Because if it doesn't, if you're here only for the money, it, it, it it's not going to work out for you. And I and 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 I don't know if that's a very broad lesson or not, but that's that's kind of my lesson. Because when I showed up, I had people in my ear talking about, you know, oh, you could buy this for this and sell it for that, and this, and you make this, and it's ten percent. And if it's this, you gotta 
know, it was it was all these all these numbers and money, and I was like, well, well, why, why, why do I have to do it? What happens if a kid comes up, and, and I just want to give them the card, or I want to give them to them for twenty five percent of comps? Can I? Oh, well, why would you ever do that? Well, why wouldn't I? I mean, it would make <laughs> him feel good. It would make him feel good. Why wouldn't I want to? So all of a sudden, I'm bringing some some something else to this space, right? And and people disagreed with it, but it's who I am. Amen. And, you know, obviously we want to make money along the way because that allows you to keep doing this. But well said, Ken, you are, uh, you are very wise. You're very wise. You are the Ninja Turtles. What was their leader? The really wise, like you're Zordon. You are I remember our... the, power, the Power Rangers. It was like somebody talking in like a lit up, like a sun or a cloud or something. I am, right? I am looking on it on my screen as we oh, speak. You know... His name is Zordon, and you are our Zordon because you are our wise leader. I was thinking Teletubbies once you said uh, no. face in the sky. <laughs> way off there. <laughs> but either way, Ken, we uh, really appreciate the time and all of your sports card lessons and your uh, knowledge of what's moving and what's not at the shows. And just like you said, the positive atmosphere that you helped create here on Crosstown Cardboard. So it was great to have a fellow Wolfpack uh, member on the podcast here. And I think it was long overdue for you to come on the show. Yes. Yes. Thanks for having me. This, this was a great time. I'm, I was excited, excited to be here. And uh, I think we should all get together and do a big Brady bunch Wolfpack before, uh, right before the national, like yeah. sometime in July, just get us all on one and, and just, just chop it up. That is a fantastic idea. That's a good idea. I'm down for it. All right, All right. Ken, we'll, we'll see you soon enough. Can't wait to give you a big old hug. <laughs> Carmine, I'm going to meet you for the first time in person. Same. I know. Same. I, haven't, you for I, the haven't, first time. Yeah, I haven't met you, Craig, or you, Ken, or any of our Wolfpack members in person being on the West Coast. So national is our big plan. And me and Ken are planning to be roommates with Rob, our buddy, the sports card therapist who we mentioned saying he's sleeping on the floor what a humble what a humble road for he Rob to take. that up for you <laughs> wow see that that that's a a very humble approach that's very nice yeah all right well all episode right. 33 thanks ken anything uh you want to add before we say goodbye here nope that's it fellas thank you i appreciate it and i had a great time all right, all right. peace <laughs>